Hey, Lights, Camera, Barstool listeners, you can find us every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes a bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball nips. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball nips and have a great time on the golf course. Hey everyone, first off, thanks for listening and subscribing as always, but before you continue on this episode, I am asking that you go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and a review. You can put whatever the hell you want in the review. You can put a movie review, your best pick for the Oscars, best picture, whatever whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Just write something, because this would be a massive help to us, and our iTunes ranking, and our standing amongst other movie pods. This would be a big help to us if you do this. It leads to bigger and better things for us to give you much better content. Thank you. Enjoy the episode. To infinity and beyond! The Lord tells me he can get me out of this mess, but he's pretty sure you're fucked. It's why you fail. You can't handle the truth! Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. Say hello to my little friend! You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Say what again! Say what again! I dare you! I double dare you, motherfucker! Say what one more goddamn time! What we've got here is failure to communicate. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? You get our son! Happy birthday, Polly. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Barstool, episode 128. Jeff Lowe, Ken Jack, Troll Bollins, two weeks out from the Oscars. Great episode ahead of you here. We will be ranking the top 10 worst Best Picture nominees since 1990. Uh, we are going to do worst winners, but the list would probably be the same. You'd be Crash, Crash 1 through 10. Uh, and then... um. Yeah, we're reviewing the Lego movie, the second part. Get it? Huh. Oh. <laughs> now I get it. Yeah. Oh, wait, we're the second Lego movie? I thought it was Ninjago today. <laughs> Ooh, what if you went down that road and you're just like, wait. What, what we watched is better than Ninjago. The second Jeff, part is actually the title of you, of Jeff when he eventually gets a mohawk. Yes. You can get a two-part haircut. Oh, dude, that's, that's a good one. Your that's brain's a good joke. My brain is. Um, mm, I feel awful. Let me just put it that way. I don't know what I have. Something going on. I have bad sore throat. I went to urgent care last night. Did a little swabby swab. I definitely do not have strep. So it might just be some sinus stuff. But you know what? I'm gonna say for the fifth time, this is my flu game. But this is like my flu. This is like my flu game. If Jordan pooped his pants. <laughs> instead of putting up how many points he just stepped on the court and shat his pants and then scotty pippen had to car- cradle him off with like poopy poopy britches so like paul pierce's game you mean <laughs> this is this is the sickest you've ever sounded doing the, doing the pod you do sound very sick so i, I felt worse at other times i just i i just feel out of it uh jeff 
cut this if, if I'm divulging too much information, but but you shared a screenshot today of potential interviews for us going forward, forward in the future. Yes. I, I need to say there there is a white whale on that. There list. is. No, that's, that's not time. really too much. There is a white whale. No guarantees, though. Let's just put it that way. No guarantees, but – but this name was just slipped in amongst other names who who are <laughs> who are who are good good actors. Some people I haven't heard of too. I mean, I'll just throw that out there. Um, but this name, just just casually in the middle of it, like you're almost like, is this the same so and so that I was, think you're talking about? It was like like uh, Richard Grieco, Oprah. Danny Bonaducci. Like, it was just like it was a really weird grouping of people for us, anyway. Like, are, are we immediately as a group called it out? Like, that's the first thing we saw. But I think to anyone else, it's like, oh yeah, that's a natural progression of the list. There is a story when we got the barstool. Frankie, who films all the pizza reviews for Dave, apparently the old way back when there was an old booking person, they sent a bunch of names to Frankie, like, hey, would you like these people for pizza reviews ever? And it was like. No name guy, you know, showrunner for the Modern Family spinoff, uh, ABC Family actor, Oprah. And then it's like a bunch of other people. He goes, Oprah. He goes, yeah, I'll take Oprah. We can get Oprah. They go, oh, no, she's in New York sometimes. Just, you know, I was curious if you'd ever want Oprah if she ever wanted it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, probably would have taken Oprah. <laughs> Should have been a given. <laughs> I would rather interview this person we're talking about than Oprah. Agreed. And that's, that's no offense to Oprah, but I, I don't know what I would ask to Oprah that hasn't been asked already but to this this potential white whale i have a i have a list of questions that's stashed away in my sock drawer (laughs) Uh, again no hopes up but i do want to get people's hopes up for something though there will be i don't know when hopefully soon trill from the mind of trill ballins a big dog style lights camera barstool shirt in the vein of the big dog shirts so the the idea is it'd be it'd be one of those comfort color pocket tees because I think the comfort color shirts are my favorite. I think they're the higher quality ones. Uh, no offense to like uh, like retro retro Joe's like polyester t shirts, but whatever. Um, and the pocket would have our logo on them, and then the back would be uh, a very generic big dog, as to avoid uh, the the litigators over at Big Dog Inc pointing at it and say yes so what i fucking listen to lcp <laughs> or something like that may not may not put the f word in there because we want people to be able to wear this shirt uh to to church so what if we like call our shot and we have it say like hey thanos how does it feel to be dead you dumb bitch <laughs> or something like that he's got a glove hey big dog should have a should our big Ooh. dog have an infinity gauntlet yes 100 we have to make that he's pointing at it, he's like your wife listens to LCB dot, dot, dot with me. <laughs> we, we might need a name for our big dog though. We can't call it big dog. Uh, Hercules. Really, really the big dog. <laughs> uh, where is that? That cool cat. Really? Uh, so Banthal. yeah. <laughs> Banthal, Banthal the big dog. But yes. Perfect. Yes. No, actually I want that to be it. Uh, so yeah, keep that in mind. Big dog shirts. And this is only happening because you guys really did follow through on the balloon Jerry shirts. Uh, you, you did buy them and we had multiple people in the, uh, merchandise side of, of Barstool. Like what is, what's balloon Jerry? Why did these sell? We had to explain what it was and they're like, okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> didn't didn't get the answer they expect, and they just moved on and acknowledged that we sold a good amount of them. We we just want to release shirts that put you in the most uncomfortable position explaining it to somebody else at um, John Barleycorns at two a.m. <laughs> fuck is that? That reference flew right over my head. It's a it's a Chicago. Uh, it's a frat bar. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's it's very fratty. It's like a like a Wrigleyville Lincoln Park sort of hmm. young twenties establishment. Like you, you ever go to Murphy's? You get your degree from Iowa, and they just dump you off in John Barleycorns. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, uh, so we do have a lot to get to. So we're just gonna get right into it. Oh, I do want to know. There will be. I I feel like I shouldn't tease this just in case it doesn't happen. But no, it's it's happening. There will be an Oscars electric chair uh, involving myself, Ken Jack, PFT, uh, Barstool. If you don't know him, Barstool Sports' newest gambling person and winner of Rough and Rowdy 7, Marty Mush. Uh, might have some appearances from Big Cat as well. It's going to be gambling-centric. Uh, we're not really totally sure what's going to happen, but there's going to be a lot of gambling, a lot of us tweeting and Instagramming the Oscars while we talk to you, chat about it. It'll be during the Oscars live on Periscope and Facebook and all that shit. So in the planning process, it'll be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. A lot more to come on that. I want everyone, though, to do a big favor. Uh, We were looking at our iTunes rankings, and uh, it's good. The rankings are good. They're not great. And a significant amount of people less than we have, not just on Reddit, but who listen to the pod, have rated and reviewed this podcast. That's a shame. I mean, like a very, very small percentage of the people who listen to this podcast have rated and reviewed it on iTunes. So do us a favor. Stop this. Go into iTunes. Leave a five-star rating and leave a review. Leave a review of Lego Movie. Give your thoughts on the Lego Movie. How about that? Or tell us who you think is going to win Best Picture. Go to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us who you think is going to win Best Picture. Put fucking Garfield in there. I don't care. Make up (laughs) a movie. It doesn't matter. But just do that because if we become... Higher on the rankings, which are pretty high right now. We're in good shape. Had a big meeting today, in very good shape. But the higher we get, the more stuff we can do. So uh, go ahead and do that. Thank you. That's a big favor from us. That was a genuine ask of a favor from us. I, I would also like if you went on the ratings and just did the Stephen A. Smith take a look, y'all, image underscore 4346.jpg. Do that. I don't care. I actually don't give a shit what you write. Just write something. Uh. Okay, so thank you. Again, a genuine favor ask from us to you. It's free, too. It costs nothing. Uh, first up, this is a bit of... Thank you to Disney for dropping this trailer before we record, and that is Frozen 2. Uh, the teaser for Frozen 2 was released out of nowhere this morning. Uh, two times in a row now, Disney's released trailers. Uh, nobody knew about it. The other one being the infamous uh, Aladdin trailer now, <laughs> which came out on Sunday. This one, also surprise, the reaction to this, much better than the reaction to the Aladdin trailer, though. People do seem pretty excited about this Frozen 2 teaser, which has no dialogue, but is a little darker, a little more grim than the first trailer. I don't really have much of an opinion on it, because it's just really nothing there, but it looks nice. That's like all I can say. It looks nice. The, the Snyder Cut of Frozen. <laughs> Finally, what everyone wanted. <laughs> I think this is the perfect teaser trailer, in my mind. I'm not the biggest Frozen fan. I like Frozen, but... uh but Moana was the better recent Disney animated musical. But in terms of teaser trailers, it seems like all we get are teaser trailers like the first Aladdin one where you just saw the cave and the lamp and you got nothing out of it, right? Or you get teaser trailers that are basically full trailers and you get a sense of the plot. 
And this one, you watched and you got to see the movie. You got to see enough action from the movie, but you didn't know anything that was going on at all. You didn't know why Elsa was diving in the water or any of the other things that happened in the trailer. I don't remember. So it actually made me curious as to to what's going on in the world of um, what's the magical kingdom they live in? Rivendale. Uh, Denmark. Yeah, that's right. Rivendale. Seems like that's wrong. Hang on. R- Riverdale. Are we talking about Archie? This, did you watch? Did you watch like? Oh, Rivendell's Middle Earth. What the yeah. fuck am I talking about? Out of this one, it was like Fjordskat. I combined something Iceberg. Dale and Rivendell. Oh, it's in Norway. Well, oh, what's the town? Arndale? Is that it? Or yes. Like that? Yes. That. That's it. Arndale. That's, that's there. You go. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was. I was close. I was very wrong, but I was still close. Okay, continue. You know what? I'm glad they didn't do it. This trailer. I would have put money on a Frozen 2 teaser tra- trailer. would have been Olaf just being like, Hey, guys, I'm Olaf. Don't forget me. Oh, where's my nose? How could we? How could we forget him after that 20-minute fucking uh, short before Incredibles? Frozen 1.5. Oh. Was that before Incredibles? Yeah. Uh, no, 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 it was before no, Coco. Coco. Oh, that's right. Even worse, to be honest, because Coco was a better movie. It, it did make it. And I don't know. Like, it sounds weird to say that, but it, it made it worse than it was before Coco. Yeah, significantly worse. Do you remember how he was like all hyped up about that short beforehand? Josh Gad, that is. <laughs> and then after everyone like railed on it, he tried to be like self aware, and he was like, "Yeah, no, like I don't, I'm, I'm just joking around with that. Like I know it was bad. Like no, you didn't. I thought it was so cool until everyone trashed him for it. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta have something really mediocre to get everybody mad about like free content. All right, especially for like a tentpole franchise or something like Disney. Um, but this this was a well executed teaser trailer. I thought. I agree. And she my, didn't give away enough. And apparently, like opinion. some some of the rumored plot lines for this is like they might reveal that like uh, they're not biologically related, and there's a couple other ones that are flown out there. And like I think that's the next logical step for Frozen, right? Is that you find out the sisters aren't actually related because one can like yeah. do magic and one can't. Well, what happens is there's a big tie, and everyone takes a twenty three and Me DNA test. <laughs> <laughs> and then they log in and view the results, and it's just it just completely fucks Christmas up. They uh, Josh Gad did tweet today, though. He said, "I think we may have just broken the internet. Definitely oh. not. Nope, not even close, buddy." <laughs> I was just gonna say, imagine he speaks day to day like Olaf, like he doesn't even have a regular voice anymore. He just has to talk like that contractually. The bar has been so lowered in terms of what people will think will actually break the internet these days in the last two years. Uh, I remember when things did break Twitter. You got the whale being lifted out of the ocean, but nothing big enough happens anymore that actually breaks the internet. A, a teaser trailer will not break the internet, Josh Gad. Sorry, I know it's hyperbole, but, but I'm, I'm a stickler for the phrase break the internet. Yeah, yeah. I, it would have to be the next Avengers trailer would have to drop cold with no rumors whatsoever beforehand. I think that's the only like trailer that could do it. It would have to drop out of nowhere at like the perfect time, like out of football season on a Sunday at like 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. I, I, I don't even I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. And even then it, it wouldn't do it. Break the Internet actually means these days because I, I take it very literally. I, I take it as something is popular enough that it gets enough traffic to Twitter and takes Twitter, Twitter down. And I don't think that can be done anymore. There's also a rumor, by the way, that the Avengers trailer, the next one, the final one, will air during the Oscars. I don't see that happening. I think that's too soon. I expect it to be after Captain Marvel, so the middle of March. 
Uh, there's also a rule with uh, uh, with the Oscars and the broadcast that they can't have a movie trailer for a movie that's a sequel to something nominated for Best Picture. And Avengers Endgame may actually fall under that guidelines with Black Panther. So they may not even be able to show it. But there's a rumor about it. I don't believe it. Keep that oh. in mind, though. Don't get. I wouldn't get your hopes if you see that rumor because people are now going to take that rumor and float it around the internet as if it's fucking truth, which it's it's definitely not yet. What, so what if that that, that's where the Motion Picture Academy of America draws the line? Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's an actual rule for the Oscars. They they can't do that. The Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, they tell you you can't like they couldn't do a trailer for Roma too. Like they, they wouldn't be allowed to do that. What if they just aired the trailer for the last trailer for Endgame at the end as like a post credit to Captain Marvel and you get more people to see it and then you don't drop it onto YouTube or any associated channels until like let's say two weeks after the movie debuts. So people you get more people to go and watch it. Well, they did do that with Avengers. That was the Avengers trailer premiered with Captain Marvel. Uh Captain America, excuse me. That was the post credit scene for Captain America. Yeah. So why don't they do that and then get a bunch of people to go see Captain Marvel? Avengers, anything else on that front? <laughs> we started frozen and we ended with Avengers. Like I mean, every co- every folks, conversation comes back Avengers. to Avengers. And it's obviously, like, this yeah. is going to be a quick hitter, but the Oscars is canning for awards and putting them during commercial breaks. Uh, cinematography, fucking damn shame. Film editing, makeup and hairstyling, and live action short. So obviously, they want more people to watch, and they're using that as a way to get people to watch. Like, hey, it's shorter. We're not showing you these awards. But the ultimate way to get people to watch would be like exclusive Avengers trailer, but there could be rules against that. So I don't know what Disney and ABC have in mind because they are probably the ones mostly pushing the buttons behind that, not just the Academy. It's like in the advertising for it, they're like special reveal. Amy Adams joins ISIS question mark. <laughs> just like throw out the most controversial plot or uh, uh, headline you can to try and get more people to watch. That would be better than cutting out awards for cinematography and editing, like two of which are so <laughs> instrumental to film. It's insane. What they, cinematography at the start of the broadcast just give out awards that are off broadcast but do it like a graduation ceremony <laughs> and they announce the winner and people come up and grab it and shake the hand of the the dean of the mpaa <laughs> and uh then they post their speeches on what what if they idea. made it like if what if they say like if there's any time voting this year you you flip a coin and that's who wins or like you have like two editors like arm wrestle for the oscar making it yeah, they could fight over it yeah yeah that get that would get viewers cinematography. The top two people will fight. You have like Barry Jenkins fighting Alfonso Cuarón, like bare knuckle brawl. I'd tune in. Uh, next trailer I want to talk about. This one's getting a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz from Academy Award winner Danny Boyle for his movie Yesterday, which is a movie about a man who is a failing musician, gets hit by a bus on his way home from work or his way home from something, wakes up teeth knocked out all fucked up finds out the Beatles don't exist in this new reality and proceeds to play Beatles songs for people and becomes the biggest pop star in the world as he is the only one to know Beatles songs uh he remembers them by heart which is obviously if he didn't that would suck uh but he's a good musician he does that becomes a major pop star really James is in this she's probably the most recognizable face uh also Kate McKinnon this movie I'll tell you what I would have read that synopsis. I would have said, fuck off. I've been like, no way. Trailer was delightful. And yeah. it's Danny Boyle. I am very into this movie. I like it. I've, I've always thought, not always, I've often thought about what would happen if they dropped a songbook of an artist in my hands and that person never got around to it. 
like like 10 years ago if they would have given me i don't know who's who's a good songwriter now right name now? Some, just name somebody i don't know if like like 20 years ago they would have dropped off like with a with a 14 year old me like a bunch of john mayer songs like could i do anything with that or would i just sit on them? i'd be like this is uh, this sheet music's fucking stupid <laughs> but does that mean that in this universe the mannequin challenge doesn't exist <laughs> that's a good point i didn't even think about that wow or race rum and or, or would they would their song be like another name uh that's i mean that's a woke take i might add i haven't what? seen anyone tweet that at us what if you uh, got dropped back, but the only album you remembered is Yellow Submarine? Would anyone even give you a chance? Uh, Yellow Submarine, no, because that, that was such a shitty one. Yeah, that was like their worst album, right? I'm trying to think of, um, like, I know it's just a movie, but if you came out in, like, an American Idol, or what, what's one of those talent shows, like, Britain's Got Talent, yeah, and you just played a guitar version of, um, like, something, or Blackbird, like what would the would the people just be like, uh, oh, well, I don't want to hear this. Play some Kylie Minogue. This this movie better have just Yoko Ono being a random person, by the way. Yeah. Like it, it better have it better have the actual Beatles and like him touring in Britain, and then there's just four guys in a pub, but they're played by the Beatles from Dewey Cox. There's Justin Long and Jack Black and all that, and they're just in Liverpool, like, oh, these songs are good. We should have thought of them. Mark David Chapman becomes an Uber driver. Oh, <laughs> he, he but launched, also he, he launches Facebook. Also, James <laughs> Corden is in this movie, and James Corden says that people are claiming that he didn't write the songs at some point. So I'm curious if there's people in this universe who start to remember the Beatles, or like there's a couple other people who remember the Beatles. Well, what if it's the know. actual Beatles? Like, what if, what if that's the twist where it, it's the actual Beatles? Like they they're like oh that song was in my head i just didn't get it out on paper couldn't communicate it Ooh, do the wings not exist that either or like do these people no. wiped off the face of the earth or do they just not that's what the that's what i'm saying is like i would prefer it if paul mccartney john lennon george harrison ringo Starr, aka richard starkey because he was so boring he had to create a fake <laughs> name for himself if they still exist but they're just not famous because they never wrote the songs. And at some point he comes into contact with these, these four boys from Liverpool who are all, um, you know, all just taking a different path in his life. What, um, like, so like if that John Lennon imagine poster doesn't exist where he's, he's wearing the sleeveless tank top on it with his like stupid round shades that only work for his face for some reason, <laughs> what would, a um, what would a freshman drama student at college put on the, the wall in the dorm room? Yeah, imagine that, or imagine if Boondock Saints never came out, or Bob Marley never existed. Like, what would be on college dorm room walls? Like, Animal House never came out, so people didn't have the Bluto poster. <laughs> Bare college walls. Who is the, uh, what, what about Phil Spector? Does he still kill people in this universe? <laughs> Allegedly, or maybe convictedly, I don't know what his legal status is. No, he doesn't get famous now, so he doesn't think he can get away with killing people. So in this universe, we've determined that there's at very least two less murders if the Beatles never existed. Because Mark David Chapman doesn't murder anyone, and presumably Phil Spector doesn't murder anyone. I don't know. Just food for thought. All right, what, sorry. What would be a crazy plot twist is if the, the real Paul McCartney, like the Beatles never existed, but the real part Paul McCartney does because all um, when they say the Beatles never existed, it was the replacement Paul McCartney after the whole Paul has died thing. And that's the big twist. Like that, that would be a good twist. I bet that's in there somehow. Though, mm, I don't know, because they 
gave their rights to this movie, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe they don't involve that. What, what's um, what's playing at the uh, the Mirage in Vegas, if not the Cirque du Soleil love show? <laughs> like, like, these are the questions <laughs> I need answered. Yeah. Across Many the universe doesn't exist either. So the world is a much better place. Oh, that's a much better place. Yeah, yeah. they don't make that shit movie. Much, much better, better place. place. <laughs> People fake love that movie so much. Oh, I hate it so much. I uh, hate like the fake adulation that gets. This what? is a better Beatles movie. This is a better ode to their music than doing that shit or Bohemian Rhapsody. This is a better use of a of a band's music catalog than just a fucking bland biopic. I agree. I agree 100%. That, and that's my know, final comment. Well, more than anything, I, there are a lot of people who haven't heard of the Beatles, so it will expose their music to a wider audience. Yes. Yeah, Thank true. God. Uh, we have an ad. Ken Jack, what's the ad? Yes, we do have an ad. Uh, this is an ad for a very special uh, clothing company, and it comes off the heels of a very relevant news item. So uh, take it away, uh, unnamed reporter. So about a month ago, you were a complete failure. Just a dumbass podcaster with no money, no anime GF, and dumb tiny me. Now you're a fashion legend mentioned among stars like Ralph Lauren, Coco Chanel, and Ed Hardy. So Kinjack, my question to you is, what changed? Well, there I was, walking 89 blocks home from work when all of a sudden the streetlights went out, and I got hit by Randy Quaid drunk behind the wheel of his Toyota Supra. I woke up, and there I was in my bed, buck naked. And for some reason, my underwear drawer was empty. So I went to go ask my roommate if I could borrow a pair. (sighs) Please get out of my room. That's when I realized it. I had awoken to a world in which underwear never existed. Jeans-wearing men walked around with extremely chafed dicks and balls. Women never wore skirts for fear of creepy men. Yeah, they still exist in this universe, too. Everybody had government-mandated wipes and sanitation breaks to clean the skid marks off their clothing. And worst of all... Hello, my name is Joosh, and I will be your server at Applebee's this evening. Ah, yeah, Joosh. We'd like to do half-off apps, specifically the boneless wings. Oh, I'm sorry. Those... Those don't exist. So I spent my days perfecting the clothing that I knew and loved. Until... Eureka! Yes, hello, Shark Tank panel. This is my invention that I would like to present to you. Underwear. Okay, here's the offer I'll make. Um, I'll offer you a million dollars. Yowza! For the entire company. Oh. Included in that million dollars is a salary to you of $80,000 a year for five years. Lori, I'll bring you in if you'd like, if you'd like to come in. I'm happy to bring you in. I'm in on Mark's offer. I like it. You understand what's happening to you, right? If you take that deal, you get wiped out. Right now, you gave up your future. You sold your soul. You owe nothing. Okay, okay, okay. You know what, Ken Jack? I like your product. I ended up getting a $750 million investment from Barbara Corcoran and ditched the terrible name, Ken Jack, for the name I hold today, Tommy John. A Brief History is based on the novel pushed by Sapphire in theaters July 2019. And reminder, if your big Valentine's Day surprise consists of a bouquet of supermarket roses and drugstore chocolates, then the only surprise is that you think that's memorable. Rethink what a Valentine's Day gift can be with Tommy John, 
the most comfortable men's and women's underwear on the planet, and a gift that's not only expected, but genuinely needed. Tommy John is redefining comfort for men and women with luxuriously soft, feather-light, moisture-wicking underwear that moves with you, not against you. With no pinching, no bunching, and no riding up, it's no wonder that Tommy John has sold over 6 million pairs. If you're still looking for a Valentine's Day gift, their limited edition loungewear and underwear, including matching his and her sets, are the perfect alternative to boring and played out cliche gifts. And with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee, if you don't love your first pair, you'll get a full refund. So there's no excuse not to buy the gift of comfort that they truly deserve. Tommy John, no adjustment needed. Shop limited edition Valentine's Day gift sets and get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash lights. That's TommyJohn.com slash lights for 20% off only at TommyJohn.com. Wow, what an inspirational message from a movie. Um, So make sure to go to TommyJohn.com slash lights and get some uh, really inexpensive now underwear. That's really comfortable. They sent us some actually, right, Jeff? They did. <laughs> Some undies. They're now me undies, but they're not me undies. They're their yeah. undies. You say it like a pirate. They're me undies. Yeah. Uh, thanks to them for the sponsor. Two more trailers we want to get into here. Uh, Blumhouse's Ma. I think that's how you pronounce how you say. It. I assume it's how you say. It. Yeah, they say Ma's house. Uh, starring Octavia Spencer. It's a Blumhouse horror movie. Uh, let me pull up the synopsis. What did you think about this trailer? My only big take from this movie is how does this not star Brad Garrett? To me, like, Ma, the entire time, Ma, Ray, Ma, Ray, you did so much better. I'm sorry. It, uh, it looks interesting. I mean, I still don't totally understand what's going on. Uh, I, I, a lonely woman befriends a group of teenagers and decides to let them party at her house. Just when the kids think their luck couldn't get any better, things start happening that make them question the intention of their host. People are dying and shit. She was like, Using floss to sew someone's lips shut. There's some weird shit in this trailer. It's a weird trailer. Uh, but uh, it looks freaky. I don't know. Blumhouse makes some freaky movies. I'm kind of in on it. But the trailer was long as shit, too. Shows a lot in this trailer, uh, which is yeah. never really a good sign. Well, I, Blumhouse is really like super hit or miss, right? So either it's going to oh, yeah. be really good or it's going to be nothing. And I like Octavia Spencer quite a bit. And I think that she can make something out of nothing. I would say the correlation between trailers that show too much. And the movies being good, uh, I don't know how to tie off this thought, but they're the opposite. Rarely does a trailer show a lot and then you like the movie. Typically doesn't really work the other way around. So, mm. uh, well, let us know what you think when you see it. I'm, I'm Googling it right now. I'm just I'm Wikipediaing it, which is basically just like watching the trailer. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, the Hustle, the second trailer I want to talk about with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. There's also a trailer for the Tolkien movie. Uh, starring Pretty Nicholas cool. Holt. Yeah, it, it's there's not much to it. Uh, there isn't much to the trailer. It just kind of teases that, you know, during the war, he began to think about, uh, or not during the, was it during or after the war? After the war, right? He began thinking about Lord of the Rings and, and, and creating that franchise. I wonder if they're going to cast Christopher Lee at all in this, because he's like one of the only people that met uh, Tolkien. And they met during the war, I want to say. And uh, I'm curious if they explore that relationship at all. Plus, Christopher Lee, in general, one of the all-time, my personal all-time favorite actors. He fucking ruled mm-hmm. so hard. Chief, I got some bad news here. Christopher he, Lee died like ruled, three years ruled ago. He ruled past tense. <laughs> okay. I was extremely past tense. <laughs> but you said they're going to cast him in this movie. Right? Uh, no, okay, I, said, okay, who are okay. They, I said, who are they going to cast as Christopher Lee, my brother? Oh, yeah. 
Take that okay. sick ass conjecture out of here. <laughs> I, was, I do I was, not think Christopher Lee's alive. <laughs> I, I I didn't think you did, but the way you said it, I was like, damn, we have to break this news to him here. This is this is really no, sad. Said, who are they gonna cast as him? Because it would have been a cool story. Okay. No, it's okay. No, okay. Cast uh, Daniel Day Lewis, bring him out of retirement. He oh, he man, could do a good actually, Chris. Chris I was about to say, he actually would be a really good Chris Lee. He absolutely would. Uh, the Hustle with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson. This is a remake, a gender swap remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Uh, this trailer looked like a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. be honest with you right here. This this trailer did not look good. Uh, and I, I don't dislike Rebel Wilson. I'm not the world's biggest Anne Hathaway fan in terms of her roles. I think she's an incredibly good actress. Uh, this just doesn't. Trailer didn't work for me. Give it a chance. We'll see the movie, but the trailer did nothing for me to to really intrigue me to want and go see this one. Yeah, it was just nothing in general. Um, I, I think Rebel Wilson for me, her kind of gimmick wore off after Pitch Perfect, and I don't think I've liked really much of her role since then. And she's gonna have that uh, that self aware rom com movie. I forgot the name of it already. Like, oh, isn't it beautiful or something? Right? Isn't it romantic? I, I liked the trailer for Hustle. Just gonna throw that one out there. I thought. <laughs> Thought, I thought it looked interesting. What did you think you, was interesting about it? I thought it was pretty boilerplate. I was I was interested in uh, one Anne Hathaway's British accent. seemed seemed very very fancy. It's a very fancy British accent, and I I like her in every role she's in. I I don't. I was think, gonna say you are a big Anne Hathaway fan. I think she's been in bad movies, but I can't remember when she's done a bad job of being in a role herself, except mm-hmm. maybe. No, she's good as Catwoman. It just that that I just can't I can't get the image of her crashing through a brick wall on a stupid ass <laughs> motorcycle and fire, firing a Roman candle at a villain <laughs> they've been building up over the last two hours and just offing him that way. Oh God! I would imagine this movie does come down to Rebel Wilson and your ability to buy into her character uh, because since Pit Perfect, she really has been just Fat Amy. That's just that's yeah. just what she's been. I, I think this would have been better, honestly, and I, I don't dislike Rebel Wilson. I, I think she's been enjoyable in some roles she's been in. Um, her TV show wasn't that good, um, and then that movie she did with Dakota Johnson wasn't good either. But, uh, but the Pitch Perfect movies were better when she was in a smaller role, and this kind of scares me of her being in a bigger role. And it, it's not her, it's her character. She plays the same character in every movie, like you were saying. And I somehow wonder if this movie would potentially be more interesting if they got like someone who is a little less, um, I don't know. I don't want to say like, like physical comedy, but there was some physical comedy in the trailer. Like when they're trying on the dress or whatever, I'm trying to remember it. She tackles Liam Hemsworth for sex. Yeah. uh, In the, in the rom-com movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if you want to make it like dirty, uh, rotten scoundrels, you have a pairing of Steve Martin and Michael Caine and, you know, why not get somebody who is like maybe more of a bigger name and like, like an Anna Kendrick of sorts. Ugly Betty. Where's she at these days? America Ferreira in Superstore. Yeah, true. America. But that being said, it's like I, I, I think this does look a little interesting. It probably is not going to be good, but I, I was I, I wasn't like completely turned off by look, this trailer. Fair rebuttal. We should never all agree, even though we almost always do. No, I but you guys know I ha- I lean more towards like rom coms in these type of movies than you guys do. Like I, 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 I like them more than you guys. 
That's fair. I liked Love Actually, whereas you guys said it was doo-doo. All right. I think it's just an okay. I didn't say it's doo-doo. Okay. Well, you wasn't on your top 10 Christmas movies list, so by, like, deduction of... Um, like how people judge us for our lists on Twitter. You guys said it's doo doo. Infinity no. War is not on my top ten Christmas movies either. I don't think that movie's doo doo. Well, if you were judging us, if you were like one of the guys judging us on Twitter, you us saying the movie's doo doo is basically what we're saying when we don't have it on the top <laughs> ten list. Wait, people judge us on Twitter? Hmm. Mad, mad people. I think people are gonna like the list today, though. I'm, I'm liking the worst best picture nominees. Quick before we move on. Sorry, I got a Hall's uh, lozenge in my mouth. People I'm, understand. I'm, I'm charging up. Don't don't apologize. <laughs> what is charge the, up? I want you both to guess the highest box office number for a Rebel Wilson movie. Uh, it's got to be Pitch Perfect. Uh, hmm. One. Uh, that's my guess. Wait, no, she's definitely like a bit role in something bigger. G- is no, it, guess. Is it, an, is it an animated movie? No, no, it's uh, live action. But guess the, guess the movie and the highest total. You guess probably won't guess the movie, so just guess the total. And the highest total? Just uh, guess the highest total. Is Fuck, it a bit like, Yeah, does that count? Like bridesmaids? It is bridesmaids. Her bit parts. I was gonna Bri- say that'd be my easy guess. Bridesmaids, I'm guessing 120 million. Um hmm. I'll go yeah, it's like a wrong uh, yeah, 150. It's 166 million, it's bridesmaids. Pitch Perfect 3 made 61 million dollars less than Pitch Perfect 2. Damn. Uh, but I'm just surprised she hasn't been in a movie that's made more than $200 million. That's just surprising to me. Uh, how to be single. Uh, yeah, how to be single. I don't know how much how to be single made. I, I like Rebel Wilson just because she's in Cats. And I completely support that project. And Jenny Any Dots can <laughs> can Jenny Any Dots any day if she wants. I don't care. <laughs> uh, one more piece of news and a quick ad read, and then we'll close out news. This is, uh, oh my God, I, the frustration reading this article was very high for me. James Cameron, who directed Titanic and Avatar, who was the fake director of Aquaman and the movie Entourage, who will be directing multiple Avatar movies and has been studying water for the last 10 years. Uh, He opened up about Aquaman. Uh, He said it was great fun. Um, but stressed that his approach to filming underwater scenes was uh, was different. Uh, truthfully, I could have never made that film, Aquaman, because it requires this total it dreamlike to come out. Yeah, because it requires this total dreamlike disconnect from any sense of physics or reality. Oh. It exists somewhere between a Greek <laughs> mythic landscape and a fairy tale landscape. He's he not fucking done. floating rocks on his he's, planet in unobtainium. Not done yet. People just kind of zoom around underwater because they propel themselves mentally, I guess. I don't know, but it's cool. You buy it on your own terms. But I've spent thousands of hours underwater. I'm very little. I'm very literal about my underwater. It needs to look like it's real. And while I can enjoy that film, Aquaman, I don't resonate with it because it doesn't look real. Still not done. Uh, he mentioned something about whales and shit. Where's that quote? Where's that quote? And on this article... All right, give me your thoughts because this fucking reads and I want to like James Cameron and I'm sure I would if I met him. Actually, I have no idea. But holy shit, this sounds like a skit we would have written. Like this sounds like a fake blog we would have written about us interviewing James Cameron. This makes me like him more because he's <laughs> he's he's sticking to his his WWE heel character. He yeah, just true. like he just comes out, 
you know, he's in some city and the city's called Aquaman. And he, he's like, and this is his intro music, by the way. <laughs> oh, I'm James Cameron. Oh, I'm an Aquaman tonight, right? You guys are a bunch of rednecks, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, boo, boo. He's like, I can smell you from here, you bunch of lazy rednecks. You don't even like real water. Boo, we like real water, James Cameron. <laughs> no, you don't. You like fake bitch water. Boo. <laughs> that's, his, that's his heel thing. He just he just shits on everything because it's not up to his standards, and that's what that that's what makes him an auteur. Oh. Uh, Kenji, you can give your thoughts, but I'll read the rest of the quote. I, I found it. He, and then he said, after saying that the film doesn't res, he doesn't resonate with the film because it doesn't look real. And by the way, Aquaman doesn't help us with our issues of actually understanding the ocean and exploring the ocean and preserving the ocean. Though they did throw in a couple things like whales and things like that to remind us we are using the ocean as a garbage dump. So I applaud the film for that. Yeah, I couldn't have made that movie. We're doing a lot of underwater in the Avatar sequel, so it's going to have such a different feel. Dude, okay. what, is he, what is he talking about? They literally, that's the main plot point in Aquaman is the fact that they want to destroy the humans because they're polluting the, the earth. They're polluting the oceans. That's like the fucking driver no, dude. for the for, for the villain well did you see the deleted scenes because in the deleted scenes i had a carnival cruise ship dumping their poop tanks right into aquaman's <laughs> mouth and he was just absorbing all the shit from the the the, the ocean liner he's like mm, yes thank you for the redigested coconut like, shrimp, I, will, my lords. I, I will take this trash to save the ocean it was beautiful <laughs> what a, oh god it's just it's it's incredibly fucking condescending is what it is i can't and like, buy it i can't he's, buy it Trill. he's a better filmmaker a better anything of film than me marketer he's he's i mean james cameron he's a genius i mean like no doubt about it he is he's a genius at what he does that's why he's made a call he joked too he's like was like are you impressed by james wan's billion he goes ah he goes have him have him come back to me and i made my second billion and on his way to his third billion and like he was joking when he said that but like he is a genius and he deserves that respect but that is such a fucking condescending interview that's all it's almost too condescending to comprehend like do you get like is he that out of touch like he sounds out of touch with reality it sounds like someone who's just pissed off that uh comic book movies are just succeeding where he has to try and invent weird dumb shit like avatar 10 where like i don't know like they're swimming underwater and fucking each other with like their nose hair now instead of their actual hair like just because you have to try and go to these extreme lengths to make money and the fact and like people are retroactively not liking your work not like Terminator shit, but anything like that, but like Avatar specifically, like doesn't mean you have the right to go after someone like James Wan, who in my opinion did put together a, a decently made movie and to boot did good auto underwater sequences. The CGI of the underwater I thought was very well done. I like it though. That's what I'm saying. I agree with what you guys are saying, but this makes me like James Cameron more because he's sticking to his guns. And now I can't, I can't wait to see these underwater sequences in Avatar 2. I mean, if he makes this no glasses 3D shit work, again, I will get him. I will bow and I will fucking do the. What is it where you do all hail and fucking bow and shit? Your name for that? You'll hail bow. him. You can do this, yeah. That, you, you'll curtsy. Praise him. Praise him. Uh, whatever. Fuck it. I don't care if it looks cool. That's awesome. And he's even more of a genius. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this is such a douchebag reply. I just I can't get over it. I actually <laughs> thought it was a joke. I had to confirm it wasn't a joke because someone sent it to me. Like that's real. Like that's funny. That's like fan fiction. He really said all that. 
protecting oh. your ocean, douchebag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think it's funny that he's talking about the movie not resonating with him because that's not what the ocean looks like. When my reference point for what the ocean looks like is like getting my foot stuck in, in seaweed off the beach of Daytona Beach <laughs> and, and, and just opening my eyes for a brief second. Like, oh, this is the ocean? Okay. <laughs> because the movies look fine enough. But you know what? He's a genius, and I love this character he's playing where every movie sucks that's not him, and especially when it's a water movie. He he feels like someone's encroaching on his territory a little bit. That's how it reads, right? Back to that WWE villain-type role. Kind of feels like someone else is challenging him for the intercontinental water belt. Yes, yeah. 100%. But he, he, he's, so, he's so insecure, right? Like that's what it comes down to. Like it just feels mm. so insecure. No, I think he's. I think he's overly secure. I, no, I, but if he was, he would say nothing. I, but I feel like there's this point where you just get you get so mighty and powerful and have so much money that he just can say whatever he wants. No one, no one's gonna, no one in that industry is gonna say anything. Right? What would be more secure? Right? Would it be him saying that he didn't resonate with him, or him saying like, "Yeah, I thought it was great. I think I could actually learn some a thing or two from James Wan." Like him I, saying that, I think is more condescending and more secure. I see what you're saying, but I th- I don't feel like this was insecurity so much as hubris. Okay, if that makes sense. He, I mean, it also it's not like we're new to this either. Like m- many people have joked and noted how he's kind of a douchebag. I mean, that's just not like yeah, this isn't anything new. I remember. Uh, <laughs> Tina Fey and Amy Poehler had a joke at the Golden Globes back when Catherine Bigelow won for Zero Dark Thirty, or she won at the Oscar. I think she won at the Globes. She won at the Oscar, probably not the Globes. I'm sure they did something stupid. But uh, they said, I haven't been really following the controversy over Zero Dark Thirty, but when it comes to torture, I trust the lady who spent three years married to James Cameron. And Ooh. everyone laughed and, and and guffawed at that. So, it, it again, it's not like we're at some new revelation that James Cameron's kind of an asshole, but Again, this is just it, it was funny. I Sigourney. laughed pretty hard when I read it. Yeah, but he's, <laughs> he's, like in, he's like in Michael Jordan territory for me. And I've I've just come to realize this over the last, you know, whenever we've been doing the podcast in between our last like James Cor- James Corden, James Cameron vent session. Like Michael Jordan was interviewed about uh accomplishments and he just said, uh, oh yeah, you know, that's a great accomplishment, but six titles, that's a even bigger accomplishment that, one, that, that is yeah. very similar you're right I, I feel like james cameron's the same thing where he's like well i had a lot of fun at aquaman but you know what honestly it really didn't resonate with me because they didn't really get the rendering of the seafoam quite the right shade of teal but he can yeah, do that like, because he's made he's he's made so much money uh, so a, james cameron yeah. still churning out the quotes I want more though. I do love it. I, I eat it. Yeah, up. See, I that's what hilarious. I'm saying. That's that's where I've like gone. I know. To. No, I, I know. I know. Now I just want. I want a show where James Cameron watches watches fucking Lego Movie Two. <laughs> oh God. Uh, uh, one more ad. Honey. I actually use Honey. I use all of our products, but I've used Honey for a long time, long before we started podcasting. Uh, nobody wants to feel like they're overpaying while shopping online. I I didn't. Uh, but did you know there's an easy way to always get the lowest price? It's called Honey, and everyone deserves to know about it. Uh, it's a free shopping tool that automatically saves you money by searching the internet for the best promo codes whenever you shop online. Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Macy's, T- Taco Bell, fucking Domino's, Barstool, I'm sure, on our website. Uh, it's an add-on. I have it on my Google Chrome. You click on it. When you go to checkout, it punches in Kohl's. You put this shit on Kohl's, you'll pay $0 for whatever you're buying. Uh that's, that's not a guarantee. I feel like they could probably strip the ad if I – that's not a guarantee. Let's mark that down. 
but honey, you click on it. It's on your browser. Uh, it applies uh, the various coupons that are available, takes the money off your final uh, order price. Over 10 million members, 100,000 five-star reviews. People saved $800 million or more. Uh, again, I've used honey for a long time. Friends have used honey. It's a great service. Uh, there's no reason not to add it. It's free too. You can install it in just two clicks. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash lights. This is the one you got to help us out with. It's fucking free. That's two words. Joinhoney.com slash lights, and then you'll save money wherever you shop online. All right. Thanks to Honey. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the sponsor. Two more bits of news. The Jared Letter Joko. Jo- Joko. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally. That's Leto's ah, Revenge right there. Damn it. Fuck. Damn it. <laughs> Batman Joko's at it again. He got me. The Jared Leto <laughs> Joker movie has officially been it's canceled. It's me, Joko. <laughs> canceled. Even though we haven't heard anything about this movie in a very long time. It's done. It's gone. So there's not going to be two Joker movies. There's not going to be fucking damaged ass Jared Leto Joker. It's, go- it's over. It's gone. This yeah. is good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's probably good. That That whole Leto Joker was... Not that bad in the movie. He didn't get enough screen time, but I don't think our attention spans, our collective attention spans, are wired enough for multiple Joker projects. Robbie said it to me today. He said, not the worst Joker, also not good. Like no. There's very in-between good and bad. There's just, it just, he just exists. If you, if you went off the stills that were released, like those were pretty awful, but in the movie itself, from what little we got of it, kind of entertaining. Yeah, he was short, short changed by a bad movie. Did we talk to Ike Barinholtz at all about getting made out with by that Joker? I forget. I don't think we did. We just asked about Suicide Squad too. That was it. Should have. Yeah. So that's that's gone. That's done. Couple other quick hits: the Breaking Bad movie, which is uh, supposed to be apparently a prequel, a Jesse Pinkman prequel. Oh. Uh, It's going to go to Netflix. Okay. Apparently, I like it now. Yeah. See, the boy, the the opinion changed immediately. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. Aaron Paul, I like Aaron Paul. I do think this is something that uh, well, Vince Gilligan's attached, right? I'm not. Yeah, I'm yes. not making. Yeah, this is something as long as Vince Gilligan's attached that I'm probably going to enjoy because he 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 does good work. But at the same time, it's hard. It's hard not to like let other projects that try to do prequels and spinoffs like ruin your opinions on every other prequel and spinoff. They're not all created equal. And uh, two more bits of news here. Josh Brolin added to Dune. Man, the hype train for this is, we've talked about it. It's picking up. This is going to be at a level of like, it better be the best thing of all time because the cast is incredible. Rebecca Ferguson, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Charlotte Rampling, Javier Bardem, Oscar Isaac, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is going to be the director also writing it. And then obviously now they have Josh Brolin. So that's awesome. Great fucking casting. He is so good. He was so fucking good as Thanos. I was talking to another thing I was talking with uh, Robbie about today. In the scenes where he just talks, like none of like the action, where he's just talking to Doctor Strange or talking to Stark, he's great in those roles. He really is so good at Thanos. He was. And, like just the scenes where he was explaining what was going on or like the history or like when he was talking about his planet to uh, Doctor Strange. I thought that was so well acted, especially for a role that's primarily like mocap and voice. That had to be hard, right? Like, especially coming oh, yeah. up the heels, right, of uh, Cable. 
where Cable was such a physical acting job, going from that to mocap must have been difficult. And I, I appreciate how well he was able to act a three-dimensional villain, and probably in between him and Killmonger. I think probably the second best comic book villain of all time. And they, uh, they worked together in Sicario. They did. That's a good point. Yeah, so good point. I, I, I always like when directors get actors like this because you know like they like that actor a lot and they got something in store for him. Just, go just, overboard on it a little bit. Like our old, old boy, uh, uh, Tim Burton, Timothy Burton. <laughs> yes. But uh, I, in this one, I, I think this is a good move. Little hint, my list later on, there's a Tim Burton uh, mainstay actor twice Uh-oh. on my list of 10. I got one. Yeah, twice for me. Uh, okay, Dune. I wish Roger Deakins was a cinematographer on that one. I will say that, like he was for Sicario with Josh Brolin and Denny Villeneuve. Uh, last bit of news. I don't know why this one makes me feel like Trill's going to love this. Uh, crank Yankers returning to TV, apparently. The the Crank Phone Call Puppets show from Comedy Central. Is this a – you like this? Uh, I didn't watch it all that much. The, okay. The, the lasting cultural impact of Crank Yankers will always be that Jon Stewart quote when he destroyed Hardball on CNN. He went on. And he was talking about how the show is like awful, basically. And then they started talking about how, you know, he hosts a show and has some obligation. And then he said, well, I just host a comedy show that's followed by uh, talking puppets or something like that. And I think that's the lasting uh, cultural impact of Crank Yankers. So, you know, whatever. Where's the celebrity death match at? It wasn't supposed to come back. Yeah, I thought so. That I would watch. I don't even know what channel Comedy Central's on. I I, I, I don't know. I think Celebrity Deathmatch would lose its novelty to me after like one episode. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to watch this anymore. For you, sure. You wouldn't know who the celebrities are. It'd be it'd be like Young Perp 69 versus like uh, some streamer. I was going to say that, yeah, like Colton Burpo versus mm, Blurp. Ninja did a paid promotion for Happy Death Day 2 today. Yeah, that was fun. Good times. Ooh, that's been getting bad reviews, fellas. We'll see. We'll see. We're we're moving the review, by the way. We're going to review Alita Battle Angel next week, and then we're going to review Happy Death Day to You with Large uh, from Barstool uh, two weeks after that. And we're going to do top ten worst sequels of all time, mm. even if it's not the worst sequel of all time. It still toes the line enough. Okay, Lego Movie 2, officially titled The Lego Movie 2, the second part. Uh, the citizens of Bricksburg face a dangerous new threat. When Lego Duplo invaders from outer space start to wreck everything in their path, the battle to defeat the enemy and restore harmony to the Lego universe takes Emmett, Lucy, Batman, and the rest of their friends to faraway, unexplored worlds that test their courage and creativity. Lego Movie 2, the second part. Uh, You know what? Because I'm nice, I'm going to make it a spoiler review just in case. The sequel to the Lego Movie... Uh, If you don't want anything spoiled, I would skip ahead right here. To avoid spoilers for The Lego Movie 2, the second part, skip to one hour, seven minutes, and 45 seconds. Also, per usual, I'm watching Guy's Grocery Games as I edit this podcast, and I want to note that anybody that falls for Guy's tricks in the beginning when he does the whole three, two, one thing, they're fucking sheep. All of them. Sheep. Idiots. Muppets. All right, enjoy. All right, Lego Movie 2. This is tough. It's a tough one for me. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this movie. It's a good time. But I thought in many parts it was just simply not quite on par with the first. Uh, And 
even watching it in the closed off space of the movie as itself, it was hard for me not to think about the fact there have been two other Lego movies released after the original and that those may have dampened this one a little bit. I try not to totally rate movies compared to other ones, but when it comes to a sequel or part of a series, that's almost impossible not to do. I thought there were a lot of fun parts in this. The storyline is a lot different than the original one. It's a little more heavy-handed with what it's trying to get across. There's a bit more of a message here than in the first one, which is a much simpler kind of, I think, it wasn't anything over the top. Uh, But I thought the other one was just a more well-made movie. It was more crisp, but it flowed better. Uh, There's a lot of fun self-referential stuff. Uh, Lord and Miller have done that before, self-referential in a sequel. Just go see 22 Jump Street. But I thought the story here was a little more disjointed and didn't really work as much start to finish. And I didn't love everything in this one. I loved everything in the first Lego movie. Uh, It was like a 94 for me. 95, should have won Best Animated Picture. It was one of the best movies released that year. A complete sham that the Academy fucked that one up somehow just because there was like one scene with a real human being. Uh, this movie still looks incredible. Uh, the animation of the Legos is still f- unbelievable, especially when you think back to when they first announced this and everyone, including myself was like, this is a fucking joke, a movie about Legos. And they ended up looking unbelievable. Uh, cause they added in like CGI, but they added in the stop motion as well. That made like Lego made movies so popular years ago. Uh, overall thought it was very well made, had a good time with it. It's an 82. It's an 82 for me. Might move up, might move down throughout the year. It's tough to do them early in the year, but uh, an 82 out of 100 for me. A a large step down from the original, but I would still recommend it. Still a good time. Yeah, uh, I agree with a lot of what you said, Jeff. I give it a 70. I'm, I'm going lower wow. than you. I, I know. Um, it's Keep in mind, I'm still buttering it, so I still, I still think it's worth seeing. It's a very fun movie, but I realized that what I really liked about the first Lego movie was the novelty of the Lego movie itself and the freshness of that being really a quick witted uh, comedy with just a lot of snappy jokes and a very talented and fun voice cast. I, I do think the Batman movie was very good. I don't think Ninjago was good, but I think all of those three culminated in getting this movie five years later and, me just being somewhat tired of the Lego movie, but by itself, it's fine. There were some parts that I didn't really enjoy that much. Um, I, I didn't love the, the sleeves, super sleeves, max super sleeves or whatever his name was. Max danger vest. You bitch. <laughs> okay, Rex, sorry. Rex danger. Vest. Rex danger. Yeah. Max super sleeves. <laughs> you knew what it was. You bastard. I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest, and I'm not like Ken Jack's a huge Chris Pratt fan. You got more Chris Pratt. You got uh, I'm, Chris... I'm cooling on Chris Pratt recently. I remember you saying, I remember you saying this guy, no, um, he, if you like his roles, it's self-referential from that standpoint. That's where you get the self-referential comedy. Sorry, I'm still struggling with talking tonight. Um, but ultimately it didn't do enough to be more original and that's fine. It doesn't have to be. It's a kid's movie. Uh, but I think it suffered for that. I think I think it was somewhat of a retread, and uh, that's where I didn't like it. 
Oh, I actually like the movie a decent amount. Not much more than Jeff. I only gave it an 84 out of 100. Um, I, I found a lot of the humor to be funny, and it had a good blend of humor that was appropriate for kids and humor that was appropriate for adults. So I imagine this being a great movie if you wanted to bring, like, I don't know, like a teenage, whatever, younger kid to. Um, I, there was, like, I think four or five self-referential laugh-out-loud moments for me. And also, I enjoyed the message of this. Like, the dual message of not growing up too fast and not trying to grow up too fast is good for kids and everything and like of like not pushing away your siblings and trying to do your own thing that resonated particularly for me as someone with two younger brothers and like immediately specifically one scene which i'm sure you you guys can remember we're in spoiler right yeah, yeah. so so the scene where he uh the sister was just like i just wanted to play with you like oh man got got the tears starting to well up a little bit um, and I think it was it was very it gave me a lot of nostalgia for like younger days with my brothers, and I think that's what the Lego movie is all about, right? It's a kids movie that is it still has appropriate moments for adults and has a, dec- a decent lesson. Was it as good as Lego Movie One? No, that was good, but that was going to be basically impossible to replicate, right? Like, there, what could they do differently in this movie that would make it better than Lego Movie One? The answer is basically nothing. And uh, I enjoyed all the voice casts quite a bit. I like the the little nod to Marvel in it because they have obviously all the dc heroes where they go like yeah we keep calling the marvel guys but they don't answer us because they don't have the rights to any of the marvel characters for the lego yeah. movie i thought that was funny uh jason momoa just literally just saying the line that we just keep yelling where he's just like uh what he's he has to yell and he says my man and i that was a laugh out loud moment for me in my theater where it was an imax and just me and one other person <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I thought it was I thought it was funny and it's a very heartfelt message and I think that's all you really want out of an animated kid. Mm, yeah, I get that. I compare it. I, I gave The Incredibles two a, a better score than this, but I compare it a lot to The Incredibles two, where it's a sequel. You know, that was a longer awaited sequel, but they still made us wait five years for this one. And then you watched it and it, it, you're you're thinking to yourself like I'm enjoying this, but like something's not there. the The magic of the original isn't there. Um, I don't know, you know, maybe I shouldn't fault the movie for that, but at the same time, like an example of stuff that was grating for me is like, I really wish they didn't bring back everything is awesome in this. The the only time I felt like it really worked was at the end when they did the somber Fox sports injury music version of everything is awesome. Um, but other than that, it's just like, you know, give us a new new. song. Yeah. But the news, but that's where like, that's where it tries to recapture it. But the new song, the new song is just so the new song is just so wink wink about it, you know, like it's literally titled like this is a catchy song or whatever. Yeah, songs get song. stuck in your head. Written partially by John LaJoy of uh, really? show me your genitals fame. Yep. And uh, the league. Mm-hmm. So like I'm saying, like maybe it's a harsh score on 70 and I still think it's a, it's a good movie. I'm still buttering it, but um in terms of just like being a great animated movie for me to put it at 80, I'd have to like put it up there. I forget what I gave Incredibles to, but maybe like 85 or 90, like it's not even grasping range of something like that. Yeah. Like I think Incredibles too. I didn't think it was that much worse than Incredibles too. Mm, I, I, I enjoyed Incredibles too a lot more, but mm. that might also speak more to me enjoying the original Incredibles and, the Lego movie itself. Like I, I did like the first time, but I don't think I would have even given the Lego movie a 94. Like Jeff gave it, it probably would have been an 85 or something like that. But, but also take into effect there, right? The Incredibles two had a 10 year gap between it. And this movie has had not only like what, like a four year gap or something, but like other Lego <laughs> movies. And maybe that might've factored into, you think that would, uh, well, yeah, I, mean, score? I definitely think it factors into it. I mean, part of it, 
I mean, I'm taking it out of the score. Maybe it's fair or not, but part of it, the original Lego movie was the nostalgia of funny talking Legos. And by the time you watch the Batman movie, which I thought was really good, and you turn off Ninjago 35 minutes into the movie, and then you get to this movie, it, it kind of feels like that that part of it has been has been wasted. So now all you have is uh, a movie trying to stand on its own merits, which it does really well, but you just dock 15 points, right, for, for not being original. Which yeah, I, it could be unfair, but like when you have a concept like the Lego movie, just like the Lego video games, it can only go so far. If they wanted to release the, the Lego Last of Us, like I would not play that. The novelty is them being Legos. It's it's like Lego Yoda going, mm, blocky <laughs> will, master builder. Mm. <laughs> tell, I, me, uh, tell me you're bussy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like the Lego Batman movie better than this one. And I actually, I do agree with Kendrick. The message was was pretty good. And I like the way they went with it. But it, it, it felt clunkier. Everything felt so naturally done. Like it flowed perfectly in the first one. And this one just felt a little rigid. Just wasn't quite all there. And I do think, again, I, I don't like pulling off from the predecessors for how I rate this one, but but for a, in a series like you kind of have to sometimes, and I just think the self-referential stuff it, it's lost its way a little bit for me. Where I looking at the movie, I use this a lot in a vacuum. I still laughed, but it's hard for me not to be like, ah, yeah, but like this isn't as original. Like this isn't as funny for me as it was in the last one and the one before that. So. And and you also you had the exchange of some characters you know and love from the first Lego movie that they swapped out, uh, you know Charlie Day's character, Allison Bree's character, or um, Ron Nick Offerman. I almost said Ron Swanson. Nick Offerman's character for uh, Tiffany Haddish's character, who like was okay, but I, I like that original cast. Yeah, I, but I understand. That's the it. curse of a sequel. You got to have more. It's got to be bigger. It's got to have higher stakes, and that's what they went for in this movie. And, uh, you know, it's okay. I understand what you're saying, but I, I just don't like the comparison to, I guess, Incredibles 2, which I think was, like, I think they're well within striking range. But I guess I get, it really does come down to which franchise you like more. And I understand, like, the product proliferation, whatever element of that. Yeah, anyway, maybe it's a bad analogy, but I, I was more speaking in terms of, like, I liked Incredibles 2 a lot less than Incredibles 1. And I think some of that has to do with, like when you saw Incredibles one, you're like, oh, this is a superhero movie that's set in a very non-specific time period that kind of reminds you of the Atomic Age, but kind of could be later in the future. And they're also like a family and have this funny family dynamic. And then you get to Incredibles two, and you're like, well, there's really nothing they can add on this that like wouldn't really just be the first movie. So it's at that point, it's just like, well, you just get a standard sequel, and that's okay. And it's the curse of the sequel. It's just that's why it's hard to do sequels. And I also think that's why this isn't doing as well at the box office. As yeah, it's not. Do. It's not doing well at the box office, which is kind of surprising. And I, but I also, like you said, Trill, I think it has to do with the fact that it it, it is a sequel, but it's also another sequel. And it's along the lines of other movies in this Lego franchise, too. And I think that's kind of muddied the waters a bit because at the box office, it's not doing what many thought it would do. It's getting good reviews. Uh, for the most part, on all the sites, um, no, no, like terrible review aggregates anywhere. Uh, but yeah, like even like I'm looking at the rap, they had an article saying did spinoffs hurt the sequel at the box office because it's not making the money that and, uh, it, it was supposed to make. And and I think that I I want this movie to do very well. Don't get me wrong, just because I love Lord and Miller and I want them to have blank check to do whatever they need to do to keep making funny movies and funny concepts. 
And it's a solid sequel. It's just, it's a sequel, right? And it's tough to live up to the original. And I think sometimes it's tough to, tough to even come close to the original score because so much of what made the origin, original great was just the novelty of it. And you don't, you inherently yep. do not get that in a sequel. Yep. It, uh, it made $34 million in its first three days and it's projected to make 55 to 60. So a bit of a disappointing return. But the Lego franchise not going away anytime soon because I think they're making a Batman sequel. So, uh, Ken Jack gave it an 84. I gave it an 82. Trill a 70. Our audience actually gave it a pretty high mark 87 out of 100. Ooh. That's the current mark of the Lego movie. It may go down over the year. There are some movies that definitely went down over the year. <laughs> uh, this could be one of them as more and more people see it. I also think, too, and, and I go back to Ken Jack's point because if Ken Jack gave it 100, I would completely understand it. It, it. This is where it gets back to movies that are a very personal preference and some resonate more than others. I did not have a sibling growing up. That's right, folks. I was a creepy ass only child. So some some of those messages, like in terms of like what Ken Jack was saying, I just can't relate to. That's fiction for me. People didn't grow up like that. <laughs> Lego movie part two, the second part, the second one, 82 for me, 84 from Ken Jack, 70 from Trill, 87 from our audience. We got one more thing to do here. We have our rankings. Top 10 worst best picture nominees since 1990. It's not we we could have gone back further, but honestly, that's just that's just too much effort. So we'll do movies that are firmly in this generation. Top ten worst. Uh, we'll go Ken Jack, myself, Trill, and then the audience. We're gonna go ten through six, each of us, and then we'll go five through one individually. All right, Ken Jack, number ten, worst best picture nominee since nineteen ninety. My number ten is you guessed it up. Uh, don't wow. think it up should be nominated for Best Picture. Don't think that's fair at all. Wow. Don't think it should be up there. Uh, and that's all I got to wow. say about that. More like down. Th- this is I, – I disagree with you, but I also want to see the rest of your list, you know, because I think wow. that could be fair. I mean, I know you don't love up, but wow. Don't think it's a Best Picture movie. Uh, wow. Well, there's – so there's one on my list, hint, hint, from this year, which I don't think is either, but it is not even close to my top 15 or 20. There are so many movies more egregiously nominated for Best Picture, but hey, let's watch an opinion list. I, I and also, that, we do need 10 through 6. I should declare for that, but go ahead, Trill. Yeah, if I mean, if you're going Pixar, I think Up deserved it more than Toy Story 3. Ooh, well, mm, see, now I'm on the other side of the fence. This is for a different discussion. Okay, okay. And Jack, rest of your 10 through 6. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, number 9, Bridge of Spies. Just an aggressively average movie. And then Mark Rylance, God bless him, did not deserve Best Supporting Actor that year at all. Um, number eight, Shock a Lot. There's our Tim Burton callback. Remember we mentioned him earlier? Johnny Depp. Just not a great movie. Uh, number seven, Sea Biscuit. Uh, number six, War Horse. I'm just going to group them together. Horse movies suck. Fuck horses. <laughs> like in, in a big way, fuck horses. Um, number that's, five. That's, that's no, no, no. Ten through uh, six. Oh, yeah. Ten through right. six. Yeah. I like your nine through six a lot. Yeah, me too. Might be talking about some of them later on. Uh, my 10 through 6. Number 10, The Godfather Part 3. Uh, I, I actually don't think it's as bad as a lot of people say it is. People treat The Godfather Part 3 like it's one of the worst movies ever made sometimes, I feel like. They're like, oh, it's the bastard of the group. It's like, I mean, whatever. It should not have been nominated for Best Picture, especially in the year that Goodfellas was nominated as well mm, and didn't win. Yeah. yeah, I did like the ending scene when so- or whatever Sofia Coppola's character died. That was good. Yep. That was a good scene. Never forget Dances with Wolves, be good fellas. Uh, number oh. nine, Crash. Uh, Crash, one of the most, this is the winner. This is the first winner we've mentioned. Uh, Crash was nominated alongside Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, 
Munich. And uh, Crash was a uh, well-intentioned movie that I just think was a complete fucking mess uh, and somehow won Best Picture, especially over something like Brokeback Mountain or Capote. I love Good Night and Good Luck. Uh, number eight, The Reader. Uh, I don't know who anyone who saw The Reader, really. Uh, the Reader was a very bizarre movie. Kate Winslet was in The Reader. Uh, Hugh Jack made fun of The Reader at the Oscars. We posted a pretty funny Hugh Jackman opening clip on our social media pages where he did the low-budget opening musical number and joked about no one seeing The Reader. Uh, the Reader was a really weird World War II movie. That's, that's all I'll say on that. Number seven, The Prince of Tides. Barbara Streisand. Uh, just an over-the-top, in-your-face, overindulgent movie. Uh, with mediocre acting, mediocre story. Barbara Streisand directed it. Uh, everything just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. It's not like the worst movie of all time and definitely not the worst nominee, but it, it's it's pretty bad. It's brutal in terms of being compared to Best Picture nominees. So Prince of Tides, number seven. A movie that I think has really bad acting in it and some of the worst acting on any of these movies, uh, The Cider House Rules. Do not like the Cider House rules. I just don't love the acting. I don't like Charlie Theron in this movie. I don't like Tobey Maguire at all in this movie. I like Michael Caine in this movie. Uh, but this director will be on this list again. So we'll get to that. But the Cider House rules is just not a good movie. I think the acting for how many good actors in the movie, terrible. Uh, and it was nominated for Best Picture. So though, that, that's Tobey my Maguire. 10 through 6. Yeah, that's true. That's my 10 through 6. My number 10 is Aaron Brockovich. Not a horrible movie. Not a great Oscar movie. Uh, really got a lot of buzz off of uh, a good performance by Julia Roberts. But as a movie, it, it was uh, very similar, I think, to what's eight on my list. But what's nine is Benjamin Button. Curious case of Benjamin <laughs> Button. I didn't think this was that great of a movie either. Like some of these movies I, I, I think are good movies. But in comparison to these other Oscar movies, they're not. But I, I just didn't like Benjamin Button at all. It was too it was stupid. It was long. Um, yeah, it's like you get the concept in the first five minutes. You're like, okay, like I got it. I got it. Um, eight is The Blind Side. Blind Side's a movie a lot of people like, and for good reason. It, it is a very good popcorn movie, but it is not an Oscar-worthy movie. A very popular movie. Um, number seven, Les Mis. I did not like Les Mis. But the singing was bad from a lot of characters. <laughs> Russell Crowe, specifically. Especially Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought some of the production was pretty cool, but just in terms of like being a musical on a movie screen, didn't really do it for me. And then number six is Seabiscuit. And that's that's like in that Aaron Brockovich blindside category where it's just a really solid popcorn flick that somehow gets nominated for a best picture for some reason, and just isn't as good as the contemporaries in their cohort. Yep. That's uh, a pretty good diverse list. Actually, all three of these so far, very diverse, have covered. Have we had any repeats? I don't think we have. Yeah. Yeah. Me and Troll. Sea Biscuit. Uh, oh, wait. No. Sea Biscuit. Oh, yeah, Sea Biscuit. Okay. One repeat. Yeah. That's a good list so far. The audience, 10 through 6. Worst Best Picture nominees since 1990. Number 10. I was surprised by a couple of these. Juno. Mm. That's a bit really? I like Juno. Surprised by that. But I get it. I kind of get it, even though I like it. That was the, uh, bu- that was the buzzy movie of that year. It was. Uh, American Sniper, number 9. Wow. The Chris Kyle movie. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Clint Eastwood made a lot of money. Uh, American Hustle, number eight. I am one of the people who actually doesn't mind American Hustle all that much, but I know a lot of people fucking hate American Hustle. And American Hustle was supposed to be an awards darling and didn't win shit at the Oscars. Number seven. I don't get this one. Babe. Pig in the... uh, No, not Pig in the City. Babe, regular pig. 
Uh, <laughs> I liked Babe. Babe was what's wrong with Babe? Mm. What are we shitting on Babe for? Against the like in the best picture category though, I, I, I think I that... put a list of two hundred fucking movies. Babe is nowhere near one of the worst. Movie about uh, babe, a babe's, pig. babe's not on my list, but I feel like this one got on because of the uh, the the great execution of the talking pig for the time <laughs> it was released. Yeah, you got to pick. What was the other? What were the other movies nominated the same year? Uh, the year Babe was non- nominated, which I believe was 1995. Uh, that's that's Babel. Uh, Braveheart, which is actually considered yeah. not great. I mean, think about it this way: you, you put a talking pig next to Braveheart for Best Picture, that's going to ruffle some feathers. Yeah, but but Brave, there's a lot of people who think Braveheart's one of the worst movies to win Best Picture. That's uh, wrong. And then uh, Sense and Sensibility, I think Apollo 13. Apollo 13 was probably what should have won that year, mm. um, but Babe, Babe was up there. Uh, yeah, you. I was surprised. I mean, I know Braveheart isn't, you know, the fucking Godfather, Goodfellas, but uh, there are people who think Braveheart's one of the worst Best Picture winners. Uh, and then number six, I thought this would be top five, but it's number six. Not by much. It just missed out on top five. Crash. Hmm. Uh, crash at number six. Uh, Ken Jack, number five worst Best Picture nominee since 1990. I'll keep it short and sweet. The Artist. It is a pretentious, like, suck your own dick movie for Hollywood and I just did not take care for it one bit the fact that it won was a travesty and I hated it and I don't think it should have been nominated and I get why it was I just did do not think it was a good movie yeah the artist isn't on my list I mean I thought it was a really well made movie I, I thought it I would even say it was a good movie but it annoyed me that it won I think because of the pretentiousness of what it is mm-hmm. it's more of a Hollywood love fest than La La Land was and I understand that La La Land is one of my favorite movies of all time, but I, it just bothered me. And so it, it's very well made. And shout out to uh, Jean Dujardin, the guy who won Best Actor. And I don't know if he's been in a movie since The Artist. <laughs> I don't know what he's done since then, if he's been in anything like I, – I think he was in – was he in Wolf of Wall Street? I think he was. Uh, sure. But anyway, he, uh, he did win Best Actor. It's the only like notable thing he's done in his career. Uh, it was – it was it was good. I one of my family friends said it's an okay silent movie. Like that's what it is. It's an okay silent movie. It's a low bar to clear. Yeah. Ah, but film buffs love silent movies, so I, yeah. I won't I won't hate that. Yeah, and we're big film buffs here. <laughs> uh but the artist, yes. I, I think that's a, a pretty decent pick. Uh my pick number five. This is the first appearance for Sir Johnny Depp. Is he a sir? I don't want to wrongfully knight him. He's, he's, he hasn't been knighted, has he? He is certainly terrible. Okay. Uh, yeah. Finding Neverland. Oh, uh, yeah. Shit. I should have nominated that. for Best I like that. Oh, come on. Mm, no, it tickled It tickled the right buttons for me, my friend. Oh, uh, about the author J.M. Barry. Is that his name? I don't fucking care. Uh, him writing uh, Peter Pan shit, and it's... It's it's a corny fucking cheese fest. It's like a really good Hallmark movie. Million Dollar Baby won that year. <laughs> the Aviator, Ray, and Sideways were nominated. Sideways should have won. I fucking love Sideways. Uh, Finding Neverland. Kate Winslet, another Kate Winslet movie. Dustin Hoffman's in it. That it was just, a, <sighs> sorry, that, that list of nominees might be the worst all-time roster best picture nominations per year no we haven't looked at we haven't the only reason i didn't deep dive into the artist year yet is because we're gonna get to something on the artist the 2011 for me is still the worst okay fair well, enough though that that is a weak list i i will die in the grave of fucking sideways being great but yeah finding neverland i thought it was just a 
I'm going to save a word I want to use for my next movie, but it's a fucking corny ass Fart. movie with he was like, they'll always wake up a day older. Don't put him to sleep. Shut the fuck mm. up. Shut up. Nerd. Uh, Trill, number five. My number five is Crash. The the only actual winner to be on my list. Uh, I, I just didn't think Crash was that great. I didn't think it was that bad, but it just was uh, people loved it. People loved it when it was released. They loved the structure of it. A lot of stuff going on in this movie. I will say, uh, I think my boy Brendan Fraser's in this one. Sure is. So some points there. But other than that, it wasn't that great of a movie. They, uh, you want to see award season buzz and like momentum? Crash was it. Crash is like the poster boy for award season momentum. It picked up so much fucking steam and then just cr- no pun intended crash right into the Oscars with yeah, big that's success. Se- that scene with Michael Pena and the store owner or whatever it was at the end where like he thinks he shot him. Go back and watch that. Not not that great. <laughs> <laughs> Crash right from the onset, though, of it winning, people were like, what the fuck? Hi. Why did this win? Uh, that That is a good pick. I thought it would be much higher on the audience list. It is not in my top five, but, I mean, I had it at number nine. Audience number five, speaking of James Cameron, Avatar. I do think Avatar was deserving of a Best Picture nomination. I mean, I don't know. It, was, it, it did innovative things, though. I really can't fault James Cameron. It did enough, I think, to get the nomination. Uh, Ken Jack, number four. My number four is a curious case of Benjamin Button. Trill hit all the major notes on it. it. It was certainly not a terrible movie, but it was nowhere near deserving a Best Picture nomination. And like, I, I get why Hollywood, or, like, or rather the Academy, would want to put it in there, but like, it's just not good enough of a movie to be up there. It, it, it's, it's a funny case of how fast technology evolves because... More like a curious case. Yeah, it's a very curious <laughs> case of how technology evolves because when that was released... Everybody was obsessed with the aging techniques and the de-aging techniques. And now they basically use that in like a sprint commercial. And it's even better. <laughs> My number four, the blind side. The blind side for me. I agree with Trill. Uh, I wanted to use this word with Finding Neverland, but since this movie's higher up on my list, I have to use it with this one. And that is schmaltzy. This is a fucking schmaltzy sensationalist movie that overplays its cards uh, the story's fine, but it's also propped up on some like falsities too. So it kind of makes you feel like, yeah, like even Michael Orr was like, ah, that's not true. Oh, he that's never not played true. football ever, yeah. ever, <laughs> never did. Uh, this is the blind side is Bohemian Rhapsody before Bohemian Rhapsody came out. That's how I'm characterizing it. Like just for what it is, uh, audiences fucking love the blind side. Middle America loved the blind side. Well, blind side uh, was good. It was a good movie, but it's it, fine. Yeah. It doesn't deserve Best Picture nomination. Yeah, it was one of those buzzy movies they throw in there to get a a broader audience to watch the Oscars because their favorite movie of the year is up for nomination with all these, like, scuffy French movies that are named, like, Le Batou. There should be a sign that says, clap now, throughout The Blind Side. Like, it just fucking tees up every moment that you're supposed to love. And The Blind Side did come in the year that they expanded the list, too. Uh, it was nominated alongside Avatar, The Hurt Locker, District 9, and Education, and Glorious Bastards, Precious, based on the novel pushed by Sapphire, A Serious Man, Up and Up in the Air. Uh, and then they changed their voting process, I think, either the year after this or the year after that, be- partly because of The Blind Side. So The Blind Side, number four on my list. Trill, what about you, number four? 
Uh, number four is The Reader. There's really not much to say about this movie other than it was not not fun. <laughs> it's, it's not fun. And not fun and not really that good of a movie. Some of these other movies, like The Blind Side, would much rather watch The Blind Side than The Reader. Even, even for as schmaltzy as we make fun of them, just because we know more about them, The Reader is just something that is, is boring through and through. It's just like like the, the whole Nazi war crime thing with their character. It's uh, yeah. Well, it's, just take a shitty story and put it in a very uh, tense and important historical time, and you got a stew cooking, baby. <laughs> uh, number four for the audience. They agree with Ken Jack, the artist. The artist does appear again. Ken Jack, number three. A very recent movie, near and dear to our hearts. Can you guess it? Bohemian Rhapsody. No. Oh. Ooh. I don't know. It's from the the, uh, Academy a year before. So last year? Yes. Last Uh, year. Phantom Thread. No, that was... uh, The Post. The Post. God, nailed it. The Post. The Post is just another, uh, much on the line of Bridge of Spies, just an aggressively average movie that depends on, like, sentiment, like, uh, popular sentiment of the time to make it good. And, like, just, it's not. It's just not a good movie. It's not... Just because you have Tom Hanks and, God... Damn it, Meryl Streep in her in your fucking movie doesn't mean it's good. That, that was the only thing they counted on, and it just I just I never registered that at any point during that film that it was an Oscar worthy movie, and yet there it was. Now Don't just compare it to Bridge of Spies because compare it to the other Steven Spielberg movie on your list in War Horse too. They all yeah, true. They all speak the same language. They they really do. Exactly, uh, just poopy. <laughs> My number three is a Steven Spielberg movie, War Horse. Hell yeah. Uh, fuck, well, fuck them horses. <laughs> it is it is more Oscar baity than The Post and Bridge of Spies. Bridge of Spies is not much Oscar bait as The Post and War Horse. Uh, it's just too much. War Horse is too much beat you over the head fucking exposition and just over the top narrative. The war, it's boring. It is so fun fucking boring it feels so long warhorse had no business being nominated for best picture incredible broadway show apparently though really great Do they play. have a live horse or they have like a guy with the whole it's like lying three, King. three guys who, who each represent a different part of the horse it's just justin thoreau and a guy riding it who represents war it's really deep <laughs> but they have it's like these the lion king thing with like sticks and shit to move the horse around the stage it was nominated with oh wait that's 2011 we're still going to get 2011 in a minute that's a crazy year for nominees uh trouble is number three number three is extremely loud and incredibly close hell yeah uh not a good movie uh, uh i'll let you guys tackle it because i'm sure it's, it's on your list yeah because like, I, I jeff jeff is more passionate about hating this movie but it is it's just not a good movie. Not not there yet. Uh, number three for the audience, Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, Freddie Mercury and, excuse me, Brian May make their <laughs> debut on this list. Ken Jack, number two. Worst Best Picture nominee since 1990. Uh, all right, my number two. You will actually guess this one, I think, pretty easily. Bohemian already, Rhapsody. Yes, correct. Bohemian Rhapsody. That movie, the more and more I, I sit on it, the more I get mad about it. Because it is just, it is not... A great movie. It's not. It's like barely a good movie. And to to put it up here with some real fucking titans in cinema is really. It, it frustrates me more and more. Especially, and we were looking at this clip yesterday, Jeff. The uh, one where the uh, the editing of the scene where they meet uh, Littlefinger's character. <laughs> it is unreal how poorly edited parts of this film were. And like, the, the, I think the movie for me, like, if you took out the live aid sequence, that movie drops twenty five points in score. Like it. 
very heavily on that. And outside of it, just not great. And, oh. and like, I, I get why people love it and I get why it's a popular movie, but that doesn't mean it's a great movie. Like, it's just not. And it is mm. frustrating, and that's why it's number two. Yeah. Uh, it's, no, I just I know I'm I'm actually gonna pass and give it to you. I'm I'm I have to save any more takes I have for the Oscars. Well yeah, it's it's my number two movie too. So okay. we can just skip skip myself on this while we're talking about it. Let's just get it out of our system. Um it's this year's blindside, I feel like, or or other movie that is a or crash, a very, very popular, very mainstream movie put in there to generate interest, except for for whatever reason. Instead of uh, just generating interest, like in the same way Sandra Bullock won for her character in The Blind Side, I think like Remy Malik keeps winning for this. And Sandra Bullock has had better performances than her character in The Blind Side. Yep. The Blind Side was Bohemian Rhapsody before Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sticking with that. Uh, my number two, Johnny Depp. He makes his second appearance on this list with Chuck a lot. Uh, the only thing good for Chuck a lot that it has going still is the fact that it was referenced in I Love You, Man. Oh, that's yeah. Like, that's the only positive thing I can think about this movie. This movie is – I mean, I, I, it baffles me that this was nominated for Best Picture. It really does. It truly baffles me that, that this is a Best Picture nominee. It's the fucking weird – like she's, I wouldn't call her horny, but it's like the female horny Willy Wonka, like trying to make people's lives and their relationships better with chocolate. It's, and then, like, the whole part of the movie where they're like, get the chocolate lady out of our town. They're like, get rid of the chocolate lady. All the religious people. It's just very, very bland. <laughs> it does nothing. I really don't like chocolate. There's nothing about it delightful. And, and I hope that's all in jest. And I love you, man. The bad chocolate lady. Run the chocolate lady out of our town. Uh, Gladiator won the year that this was nominated. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, and Traffic were nominated that year in 2000 as well. Ah, oh, chuck a lot. Number one, worst best picture nominee since 1990, Ken Jack. Uh, my number one is extremely loud and incredibly close. And uh, I think you, who was it that uh, had it on there? Austin Mendigo? Troll already had it. Me. Yeah, Troll already had it. Um, I, I think it was just, it was not a very great movie. And I didn't enjoy the adventure aspect of it. Like, there's movies that touch on 9 11. World Trade Center one with Nick Cage and Michael Pena. I like that one. And then there's movies where they added as an element, like what was the, the Robert Pattinson one where that was the end of the movie? Oh, geez. What was that called? Remember me. Oh, yeah. my God. So like there's movies where they slightly touch on it or make it about that. Like 9-11 in this case, they used it as a way to like generate like sympathy for the character and use that as the way to kick off an adventure for this kid, which to me is a wild move. And to, it felt like there's there's a scene in Amer- or this part in American Dad uh, the, where Roger like they, they like a like a. Uh, James Bond spinoff and the guy, the villain's motivation like or plan is that he makes a movie called Oscar Gold and he just puts in every trope to make people cry so that they cry so hard they cry to death and that's what this movie felt like for me <laughs> like the whole movie is about like a kid in the Holocaust who like is an alcoholic and has a puppy but the puppy dies and like he triumphs over it and everything like it's it's insanity to me where like they didn't have anything in mind for this other than sort of like trying to exploit whatever they could to make people cry it's it's weird. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what, and not interesting, but just like a morbid interest to see what happens with nine eleven movies in the future. Because you know we're going on the eighteenth year um, since it's legal adult this year, and you know the the further they get away from it, when it's you know two thousand and thirty five, like what, like how are they going to use elements of that to make a dramatic movie? Because at that point. 
um, they'll be able to do something like they did with Pearl Harbor, which is a horrible movie and just make it completely uh, fictional not fictionalized, but just over exaggerated version of it. And I don't know if that makes sense, but like, it's still something that like is a very formative moment in my life. And like, I understand making a movie about wait, it. Pearl Harbor. Oh, wait, no, nine 11. I mean, like, you know, I was like everybody, like I was 17 years old and like, I wasn't directly impacted, but like, just, I remember almost everything about that day, like watching it on TV screens, chemistry class in high school, and just like wondering what was going to happen next. Cause it was really the worst thing I saw. And it was, um, it happened at like the right time where um, like just, at the start of the digital media age where there are enough cameras around to see it from every angle. And I'm just really curious of how like movies are going to tackle it going forward. Like, is there going to be a loss of interest at some point, or is it going to be something where like historically people get interested in an event again, and there's a rash of nine 11 movies in 2040. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but it's just like, it's a topic. We talk about it here. It's like you never want to say a topic's off limits for a movie, and I don't think it is. But I do think it's one of those things where it's still fresh in so many people's minds, and it's such a real and tangible thing that you got to be like really careful about how you handle it. And just to put it in this movie as a plot device was kind of weird. I don't think it was awful. I don't think they did like a terrible job, but it just seemed unnecessary. And it Fuck didn't make the movie, movie better. It didn't make Fuck the movie better. Movie. No, no, it didn't because because the movie was about this kid dealing with his grief, and this was thrown in as something that had happened that everybody knew of. But it, it could, you know, it could have like happened around everything else, anything else, any other traumatic event. It didn't have to be that. Fuck this movie. Forty-eight out of a hundred. This is not even close. This isn't even close for me. It's like my. It's number one on my list by like fifteen points. This movie was weird as shit. Uh, Ken Jack nailed it perfectly. It was like the launching point for the story using 9-11 was just odd move. Uh, the story itself is bizarre and strange. A lot of it doesn't make sense. The ending wrap-up is almost like disturbing. Uh, I don't quite get some of it. Some of it doesn't make any sense. Way over the top. Major Oscar bait. Like offensively Oscar baity. Like you again using 9-11. I mean, you, you're fucking spot on, Trill. It's like, mm, I hate this movie. It, it This was hands down the most egregious oscar nominee for me not even close this makes bohemian rhapsody you know for you guys having it number two or for me chuck a lot it makes it look like like a shoe in from the second it was released for best picture like this this movie is offensively bad in terms of best picture nominees 48 out of 100 i mean the movies i should have been nominated over i was looking at the list 2011 i'll finally get to the 2011 nominees list the artist the Descendants, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, The Help, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, Moneyball, The Tree of Life, which nobody said I was surprised, and then War Horse. That's a bad list of nominees. That's a bad list of nominees. It is terrible. Uh, movies that were higher on my list than a lot of those for me, 50-50, Drive, Win-Win with Paul Giamatti, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 I had up higher. This fucking strange, weird movie that Max von Sydow got a nomination for this movie. He didn't have one speaking line in this movie. Remember, he wrote everything. He wrote everything down. Or he used, uh, he had tattoos, yes or no tattoos no. on his hands or something. Oh, oh, this movie pisses me off for many yeah. reasons. You outlined many of them, but. Mm. Who, me or Ken Jack? Uh, both of you. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, you know, it goes back to, I think you can have a debate on it. It's like, how. How do you tastefully use something that, I mean, can be used in a movie and is like a very dramatic and, and traumatic event? But I don't think this was it. 
No, I think it even, it even goes beyond the taste. I think it just was not good. Just no, it, it just was. Story. Yeah, it, it was using it, like Ken Jack was saying, to just like put it around something that would then like try to make it something deeper than it was. Like, and the, that framework doesn't necessarily work. It, it had no connection other than the catalyst for this kid's grief. Oh, boy. Movie really bothers me. Anyway, Troy, what's your number one? <laughs> Uh, my number one is Moulin Rouge. The movie sucks, dude. Ooh, I Ooh, actually thought I looked at Chicago and Moulin Rouge because they were nominated in back-to-back years. And I actually thought to myself, I wonder what Trill thinks about these. I don't know if we've talked about these movies. I, but, I, uh, I truly think Moulin Rouge was the first time people got a taste of mashups, I feel like. Because I remember in the soundtrack – soundtrack cannot talk there was like something where they mixed up uh lady marmalade with smells like teen spirit and some other things i think people thought this movie was a lot cooler than it was and you know what it reminds me of something we mentioned uh earlier in the podcast the the whole that whole beatles movie that like fantastical music mashup of a movie that it wasn't actually a movie um shout out though like one of the better uh, performances Nicole came in where her character has tuberculosis. I kind of like that movie. I didn't hate it. No, no laughs on that one. No, I just, just thought you were going on a rant. No, no. It's just, yeah, I, yeah, I just don't think it was a good movie. Baz Luhrmann is an acquired taste. You go over his filmography. You know, he did Romeo and Juliet, which some people like a lot. I didn't like that one. The uh, Great Gatsby and they did some other stuff. But Moulin Rouge, I thought was really weak. Um, I didn't think it was a good movie at all. That was really bizarre. It's in Best Picture land. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that um, the staging this as a musical with some of the, the cooler things they maybe did with the soundtrack made people think better of it than it actually was. Number one for the audience, The Blind Side. Okay, fair enough. Yep, The Blind Side, number one. Uh, that's it. That's our list. There's a couple others that didn't make my list. You know, I thought of Darkest Hour, really, I didn't like at all from last year. I don't like Gangs of New York. I'm sorry if that offends. I don't like Gangs of New York. Uh, like Daniel, York. Daniel Day Lewis is fucking amazing. Everything else I didn't love. Looked cool. Mm. He was great. I didn't like much else in that movie. That's uh, the song you two did for that soundtrack sucks, dude. <laughs> the Hands That Build America, and uh, I don't know. Go listen to it. It's it's pretty weak. It's like when you two started switching over to their whole like uh, mid two thousands phase. Uh, tree, of, tree of life force gump ghost a beautiful mind well so you know, let's can let's compare and contrast though so bohemian rhapsody was on most people's list um it, it's not a good movie but how does that stack up against ray because you can make similar points that bohemian rhapsody did something similar with ray i happen to think ray was a pretty good movie i think it was deeper than bohemian rhapsody and I was more impressed with uh, Jamie Foxx's performance as Ray Charles because I think uh, him acting and, and um, actually singing was more impressive than Rami Malek basically green screening him onto Wembley Stadium. But whatever. Yeah, but imagine if they did that with Ray. Like they're like, yeah, he actually decided like he got blinded when he was like twenty or something. Like they just switched around historical events, and you probably like it less, yeah. right? No, I mean, yeah, that's definitely fair. I just I, I think it's funny how we. Ray marked what I thought was like the, the start or close to start of the whole biopic era. And hopefully Bohemian Rhapsody has closed it off. Um, but not really though. Cause you have, uh, you have the Elton John one rocket man coming out. So maybe people still keep eating these up. 
I happen to have stopped enjoying these musical biopics. It, I, I like Ray. I agree with you on the Ray comparison to Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't think Ray's amazing. I don't think it's like great, like 90 or above, but I think what Jamie Foxx did with Ray, I think is far more impressive than what Rami Malek did with yeah. the good performances as uh, Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I, I agree there. I just, I, I think it's funny what 15 years later, you know, you still have a musical biopic in there and like one actually was good, but I think some of it was just like coming out and being one of the first big mainstream ones. And then this one, I don't know though, from a mass, from a, from a mass market standpoint, people seem to like Bohemian Rhapsody. So I think I'm just talking out of my own ass. Oh, no, but there's a difference do. between that though. Like it doesn't matter if like the main amount of audiences like it, that doesn't make it a good movie. Right. Like Transformers gets like the blind side. 90%. Right. But the blind side is that example. That's why I keep saying the blind side, I think, is what Bohemian Rhapsody was before Bohemian Rhapsody became what it is now. And again, I mean, I to 79. It's the most 79 out of 100 movie I've ever seen in my life. And that's that's taking out the historical inaccuracies. I said not even factoring that in. Like just, the movie's not edited all that great. It just doesn't do anything. It doesn't do or say anything. It's just there. It's an okay movie. Queen's about the band. It's close to being a good movie, but it, it's it doesn't land in the stratosphere. My rants about this, because I talked about this at work, because... We, Ken Jack and I were accused at work of hating this movie, and I was like, I don't hate it. My rant comes in the fact that it's being put up there with other incredibly well-made movies, great movies from this year. That's where it pisses me off. But I'll save that rant because you're going to hear it again, I'm sure, next week during the Oscars. That's it, though. For this episode. <laughs> I went one-on-one with uh, Portnoy in the office, which is actually probably very dumb. I recant that. If you're, I know you're listening, Dave. I recant my statement. Yes, all of, our, all of our future endeavors are now closed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, that's it. Anything else before we wrap this up? I think that's it, man. Oscar um, nominations are going to drop on Sunday, by the way. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. I'm going to go take some night goal and pass out. Feel better. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think do I you, will. Do you still want to do your uh, your signature close? Yeah, I'll do it. You're not going to call in for a reliever? No. Oh, you, do, you, do you want to do it, Jack? You want to try it? No, I definitely don't want to take that no. steal that Valor. No, no I could never do that. For Ken, Jack, and Trill, I'm Jeff Lowe. We'll talk to you on Sunday. Have a good week at the box office, folks.